Good morning and welcome again to the sitting room of the Manse of Bigger and Blackmount Churches. I'm Mike Fucella. I'm the minister here. If you're new here, can I give you a special welcome? And can I encourage you to get in touch with me to find out who we are and what we're about and how you might get involved? My contact details are in the description of the video below. It's been an eventful week. On Thursday, the kids and I met up again for the first time this year, and we've started a project looking at the new city catechism together. The plan is for us to spend half an hour of fun and interactive learning each week. We'll be learning some really exciting and important truths about our Christian faith together. So if you're a kid and you haven't joined us yet, please do, you will be welcome. The link to follow to get into the Zoom room on Thursday at 4.30 in the afternoon is also in the description of the video. I'm sorry to announce the death of three more of our church members this week. Sheena Matthews died on the 29th of January, Agnes Laurie died on the 2nd of February, and Margaret Walker died on the 5th. Because of COVID-19 restrictions, all these funerals will be by invitation only. But if you'd like to join in Sheena's memorial service, which will be transmitted from the crematorium, either as a live broadcast or as a video after the event, please follow the link that I've provided below as well. Can I ask you to remember all the families and friends of Sheena, Agnes, and Margaret in your prayers this week? As the children and I learned from the first question of our catechism, our greatest and only hope and joy in both life and death is that when we trust in God and what he has done for us in Jesus, we belong to him and that we will spend eternity with him. So let's worship God for his greatness and for his great love towards us. Let's sing our first hymn, How Great is Our God. to age he stands and 
As we gather for worship, let us approach our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Lord, at the moment, most of us feel like the Israelites must have felt. There is definitely no way back to Egypt. There's no way back to what we thought was normal, or so it seems. We've been through so much. We have lost so much. And we've gained a great deal, too. But at the same time, the promised land seems so, so far away and often seems so, so hard to believe in. Help us, Lord, in the midst of this wilderness to keep our eyes fixed on that pillar of cloud and fire that represents your presence, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to be confident that because you go with us, wherever we go and through whatever circumstances, we will be able to see it through. We will at last maybe soon, maybe far into the future, cross over into that land flowing with milk and honey. Lord, inspire us today as we worship and as we learn from your word. Through what we do here together, draw us closer to you. And we pray together now the family prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This Sunday in our journey through Exodus, we're looking at the story of five brave women. And I thought it would be appropriate for us to watch a cartoon of the story of another more up-to-date brave woman. Her name was Rosa Parks. Let's watch that video. The life of Rosa Parks. She sat down to stand up for civil rights. 90 years ago, when Rosa Parks was growing up in Alabama, life was very unfair in the world she lived in. Black and white people were not treated equally, even though under the 14th Amendment of the US Constitution, the law said they must be. Instead, the government came up with a trick called separate but equal which meant that people could still be segregated by race and skin color. In bathrooms. In shops. In restaurants. And at drinking fountains. Not very equal, right? Rosa Parks was born on February 4th, 1913. Her mother was a teacher and her father was a carpenter. When her parents separated, she moved to Montgomery in Alabama to live on her grandparents' farm. From there, she had to walk to school. Only white kids could use the bus. When her grandmother became sick and needed care, she was forced to quit school and look after her. At 19, Rosa met Raymond Parks, a barber and political activist in the fight for equal rights. They fell in love and soon they got married. 
Now, with his encouragement, she went back to studying and finished high school. At that time, less than 7% of the black community graduated high school, so Rosa already stood out from the rest. After graduating, she settled into married life and took on a bunch of jobs, like doing laundry, mopping hospital floors, working in domestic service, and sewing and repairing clothes. Through her husband Raymond, Rosa got involved in the important work at the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Soon after, she started working as a secretary at the office in Montgomery, Alabama. She was busy investigating cases of racial injustice. What makes Rosa Parks so famous is what she did on December 1st, 1955. First, you gotta know that, at the time, the buses in Montgomery were divided. A seating area for white people, and a seating area in the back for black people. If more white passengers needed seats, then black passengers had to move further back and stand. If there was no standing room, they had to get off the bus. That's how unequally people were treated. After a long day at work, Rosa caught the bus home. She was worn out, physically tired, and tired of all the unfairness she saw around her. She took her seat, but as the bus filled up, two or three white passengers were left standing. The bus driver asked Rosa to give up her seat and move to the back. She politely refused and stayed put. Think what guts that takes. I felt a determination cover my body like a quilt on a winter's night, she later said. The driver called the police and she was arrested and put in jail. On Monday, December 5th, 1955, the day of Rosa's trial for disorderly conduct where she was found guilty, the black community of Montgomery were organized, determined, and ready to act with a peaceful protest. They handed out leaflets that said, We are asking every Negro to stay off the buses Monday in protest of the arrest and trial. You can afford to stay out of school for one day. If you work, take a cab or walk. But please, children and grown-ups, do not ride the bus at all on Monday. That Monday, no one used the buses. Everyone stuck to the boycott. People organized car sharing. Cabs charge only 10 cents for a ride, and a lot of the 40,000 people just walked. Do you have any idea how long they kept up the protest? 381 days. That's more than a year. Imagine how tough that must have been. Their victory came a year later when the Supreme Court said the segregation on public transport was against the law. Rosa Parks devoted the rest of her life to the fight for equal rights. Rosa wasn't the first to refuse to give up her bus seat to a white passenger. Don't forget brave women like Lily Mae Bradford, Irene Morgan, and Claudette Colvin, and other activists before her who did the same. Rosa Parks died in Detroit, Michigan in 2005 at the age of 92. Today, Rosa's defiance remains a symbol for us of everything we admire. Courage, integrity, dignity, and true determination. No wonder she lives on forever as the mother of the freedom movement. Let's sing together our next song. It might be a new one for most of us, for many of us, but I'm sure you will catch on soon enough. It is the song, The Goodness of Jesus. Let's sing together.
Today's reading is from Exodus and goes from chapter 1, verse 15, through to chapter 2, verse 10. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you are helping the Hebrew woman during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, 
Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thank you, Emma, for reading for us this morning. Let's pray as we turn to reflect on the word that we have heard as Emma has read it to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would open your word to us and open us to it, that we might follow in your ways, that our lives would be full of your grace. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to the second part of our exploration through this book of Exodus. And we find in our passage this morning a surprising story of five incredibly brave women. It shouldn't be surprising, though, because women going right back to the first woman mentioned in the Bible have always played an important part in God's big story. It's Eve, not Adam, that we are told is the progenitor, the mother of all living things. And it's Eve's offspring, it's to Eve's offspring that the first promise of a redeemer is made in Genesis 1 verse 15. And later in God's big story when men have messed up or lost faith, it is women who often get things back on track. Women have played an important part in the story up until this story that we're looking at here in Exodus. I wonder if we're surprised. The original readers would have been surprised that women played an important part. The culture of the time of which the Old Testament scriptures speak and in which they were recorded was what we call a patriarchal culture. It was a culture where men were valued more than women. But the Bible, through these stories, shows us that that, that was not how God looked at things. To God, women were and are important, just as important as men, as valued human beings made in his image, and as people who work with him to bring about his plans to redeem the world. And women can screw things up just as badly as men. And that too is part of the Bible's story. But it isn't just in those ancient times that men were seen to be superior and women inferior and of little significance. That has also been the case for much of human history. And many would contend that is still the case today. At any rate, patriarchal culture has often been the lens through which people have read the Bible. And that, I believe, needs to change. It needs to change in my own reading as much as it needs to change in anyone else's reading of the Bible. Did you know that there are 111 specific women mentioned in the Bible? I wonder how many you can name. I can name a few, but it shows my bias that I can name far more men than I can women in the Bible. I need to do something about that. I need to do something about that by learning to read the Bible with my eyes wide open to the amazing way that God has used and worked with women throughout his divine history. So that's by way of an introduction to the story that we have before us this morning. It's one of those stories involving women that we often skip over or don't take much notice of. As I said before, there are five women here 
and they all show their bravery in different ways. The first two brave women in the story are named. Though interestingly enough, throughout the story of Exodus, the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the story, is never named. He's just plain Pharaoh, which means king in Egyptian. And I wonder if the author is saying something here by naming those in the story whom others would deem powerless and insignificant, and yet not naming the one most powerful and presumably most significant man. These two women are named. They are named Pua and Shifra. In verse 15, they are called Hebrew. They are called Hebrew midwives. Hebrew is a, an interesting designation. It's possible that it comes from the name Eber, who was a distant ancestor to the family of Israel. But some scholars believe that Hebrew was a class designation, that it was a generic term for a slave class in Egypt. So it's possible that these heroic women who defy Pharaoh's order to commit infanticide against Israelite children weren't even Israelites themselves. But out of solidarity for other oppressed people and because of their fear of God and his ways, these two Hebrew women put their lives on the line to do what is right and obey God. So in the story, there are first the brave midwives, Pua and Shifra, and then there's Moses' mother. We later learn that her name is Jochebed. She, together with Moses' father, hid their child, again in defiance of Pharaoh, who, having failed at his more subtle plan to manipulate the midwives, now decrees to all Egyptians that all male Israelite babies, whenever and wherever they are found, should be thrown into the river Nile. Bear it in mind that the Nile itself was one of the gods in the Egyptian pantheon. So this instruction to sacrifice these babies was a macabre display of both religious and nationalist devotion that Pharaoh was calling for his people to engage in. Jochebed, at great risk, refuses to give her baby up, and so he is saved. After three months, however, the text tells us that she is able to hide him no longer. And so, ironically, she does what Pharaoh has asked the Egyptians to do. Jochebed puts the baby in the Nile River. But Jochebed does it not out of devotion to the gods of Egypt, but as an act of faith in the God of Israel. Jochebed puts her baby Moses, the text tells us, securely in an ark. Yes, that's right, an ark. It's the same word that's used in the story of Noah, do you, do you remember? And it is used, that word ark is used only in these two places in Scripture. This basket that Jochebed uses by God's inspiration to save Moses is an ark. The same word for the vessel by which God saved his people once before. And this is where the fourth brave woman in the story comes on the scene. Moses' sister Miriam, just a girl herself, is told to stand at a distance to watch out for the baby as he floats in the reeds on the bank of the river and to watch what might happen, what God might do. Later we will hear again of Miriam when the Israelites are miraculously saved from the Egyptian army through the sea. Miriam, together with her brother Moses, leads the people of God in a worship service, a service full of both singing and dancing. A woman 
leading worship for the first time in scripture. That day, as Miriam watches, the fifth and most unlikely brave woman in the story comes onto the stage. This fifth woman, the text tells us, is Pharaoh's own daughter. Now, Pharaoh probably had many daughters, as he probably had many wives. Even so, this daughter probably knew very well about the edict that her father had made about Israelite baby boys. But nonetheless, this princess of Egypt takes pity on this baby, and she takes him in to be her own child, and she's the one who gives him the name Moses. The one thing that stands out for me out of all of these women is that they defy the powerful man, Pharaoh. For each of them, to one degree or another, they engage in acts of civil disobedience. And though the text doesn't explicitly say it, they do it, I think, because within them there is a deep sense of compassion for children, and they believe that that is God's heart, too. Now, men, of course, can have that compassion as well. But I, I may be wrong here, but I think that this compassion for children comes more innately to women, whether they have children or not. Of all the five women in this story, only Jochebed was a mother, as far as we know. All five of these women, be they Israelite, Hebrew, or Egyptian, have a deep down God-given compassion for these children at risk, and protecting them was an obedience to God, the text tells us. Whether you are a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, it's often hard to stand up for what you know is right. Consider the situation of all five of these women for the moment. Here was Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the most powerful country in the world at that time. Pharaoh in the Egyptian thinking was even considered to be a god himself. Everyone believed in him. Everyone followed him. What must it have been like to stand up against him and disobey his direct orders like the midwives did? What must it have been like to be someone like the princess whose very existence depended on Pharaoh? to go against what he had decreed. Acts of civil disobedience like this are common in the Bible. Think of Daniel and his friends. Think of Esther. Think of Jesus himself in the Gospels. And, and then think of the disciples in the book of Acts. At the root of all these acts of disobedience is the fact that the world that we have it is not as it should be. That God has a higher standard than we are often ordered to live by in our society and in our world. The one problem I have with the story of these five women is that for all of them, things come right in the end. They survive. The midwives, are, we are told, are rewarded by God God gives them families of their own as a reward. Jochebed, even though she initially gives her baby up, in the end gets him back. She's called by the princess to take him back and nurse him. And the princess herself is surprisingly not punished for her disobedience to her father. Miriam, too, comes through this story unscathed. And whereas the survival of these five women and the rewards that they receive is, is something to be celebrated, I think it's important to note that things do not always turn out well for those who disobey the pharaohs of this world to obey God instead. 
we'll see that only too clearly in the rest of the story of Exodus. Yes, we believe that ultimately God will be just. We believe that God will re reward the right and punish the wrong. We believe that God's ways in the end will prevail. But in the interim, our calling is to obey him and not consider the short-term or even the medium-term consequences of our acts of obedience. Our calling is to trust. Our calling is to trust that the judge of all the earth will in the end do what is right. When I first started to prepare this sermon, I wanted to call these five women we have here heroes or heroine. But I decided against that. In the Bible, there is truly only one hero, and that's God himself. That's where I take issue with DreamWorks. This story in Exodus is not about the prince of Egypt. It is about the God of the universe. And the Bible's contention is that it is ultimately God who does the saving. An important point, however, especially in this bit of the story, is that God can and does work through people. He can and does work through people like these five women that we've looked at today. God can and does work with and through them, no matter how powerless they may feel. God can and does work through them when they tune into God's heart and God's ways. May we, you and me, also be the kind of people that God can use for his work in our world today. May God give us courage like these five brave, brave women. May he give us courage to work with him, even when it means standing up against the likes of a Pharaoh. Our hymn of response this morning is led by our friend Pete Crockett. It's the hymn, Here is Love. Let's sing together. Here is love Vast as the ocean Loving kindness as the flood When the prince of life My ransom Shed for us his precious blood Who his love will not remember Who can cease to sing his praise He can never be forgotten Throughout heaven's eternal You are pouring 
Everybody. It's great to be here this morning with my wonderful friend, Adrienne, who I've known for over 15 years now. We met in Thailand where Adrienne worked for probably 30 years. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, then in Liberia. Um, and this morning we're going to be taking on the theme that Mike's already been talking about in the sermon about women. And uh, I want to ask Adrienne about women that she has known to share with us. So first of all, as we think about Moses's mother and what she gave up in order that her child might have life, um, can you tell us about a woman that you've known who has given up a lot in order for their child to have life? Yeah, yeah, Jane. When I, when I hear that question, the first person who comes to mind is Lek. You know, we met Lek when we were working in, in Thailand uh, with HIV positive women, and we met her in the hospital, basically dying. And she had no visitors at all. And we were there visiting one of the moms we worked with. And so Lek was like, oh, how come you have so many visitors? So she was told about who we were. And um, through that, we got to know Lek. And Lek's story really was that she became infected through her husband, her husband had died, and the mother-in-law, who was Chinese, and Chinese have a very strong thing with, with their sons, right? She felt that she was in some ways responsible towards Lek and towards her grandchildren, and she sort of made a deal with Lek and said, look, I'm sorry this happened to you. If you step away from your children, I will make sure your children uh, go to school, are raised, uh, have what they need, but I don't ever, I don't want them to ever see you again. And so Lek agreed. She agreed to, to not see her children um, because she wanted her children to have a future. That was the reason why she had no visitors at all when we met her. I quickly want to, want to also say, you know, how, how Moses' mother gave up being a mother for him, um, which God redeemed. God redeemed Lek's situation in the end as well. It took years, but Lek came to know us and through the organization came to know the Lord, um, didn't die. She reacted well to medication and very, very slowly started to speak to the mother-in-law again, telling her she was okay. And she actually, she got a job, had some income, started sending some money to support the children. And the mother-in-law was just really touched by how Lek did not break the promise of having contact with the children and yet caring for them. And over time, she was allowed to see the children and the children were allowed to come and spend a weekend. And Right now, the children are, Lek is healthy, she's doing well. The children are living with her. They're, they're young adults and they both have good jobs. And the family situation and relationships have been restored. But thinking about the question, you know, which mother gives up motherhood to save her children, Lek really did. She thought she was, you know, completely cut off for them, with them forever, um, but did it to give her children a future. Amazing. I always found her an amazing woman. Wow, that's an incredible story. And, and I remember meeting Lek, and I didn't know that backstory. And, and I always thought she was an amazing woman anyway. So, um, Adrienne, I, I just want to ask you another question. In the story that we've just heard, the midwives had incredible courage in the way they stood up to the leaders in the society. Um, by not killing the little boys. Have you come across any women who have stood up against their stood up to their society in order to benefit children? 
Yeah, what, what comes to my mind then is is Liberia. You know, in Liberia, there's very much a cultural uh, hierarchy, and you're very much part of the culture, the village where you were born in, and part of that culture are secret societies. And in those secret societies, girls are taken into what they call the bush, where they undergo FGM, the female circumcision. And really undergoing that makes you a part, a member, not just of the society, but also of the village. You can hardly live, well, you can't live in those places if you haven't been to the bush, if that hasn't been done to you. And yet it's so damaging, we all know, and so... Um, wrong to do this to to these young girls. So um, a friend of mine, Rose, who's a social worker, she had undergone this. She herself has four girls and decided that never would she allow her daughters to have to go through this suffering. And the only way she could stop that was move out of the village. And so she moved out, uh, moved to, to um, the big city where she has raised her daughters. The consequences of this is that her daughters can never ever go back to the village because of the, the whole culture around this, this uh, society happening is that once you're part of the society, which she is, she doesn't want to be, but because her mother put it on her, she is. You, what they say, you become part of the devil and the devil then has power over you and your offsprings. And so Rose is a wonderful Christian and she's broken all of that, but obviously her physical mutilation, she can't break off, but she can uh, protect her daughters, which she has done by making sure they stay in Monrovia, making sure they never go back to the village, which, which became very clear when her mother died. And for the funeral, of course, everybody was expected to go. She went but she uh, forbid her daughters to come with her. She's very, very careful that they would never have to undergo anything like that, which is very brave because it's so much part of the culture in Liberia and so much part of being a Liberian. It's very secret. Not many people talk about it, but it's very present. And um, it's actually can be dangerous to stand up against it. Women who've spoken out against it have had their houses burned down. Nobody really tells you what happens in these societies because of the secrecy surrounding it. She's never really told me either, but I know that, you know, she's very strong that her daughter should never become a part of that. And yet she loves her country. She's Liberian and she wants her daughters to feel Liberian. So, yeah, she's, a, I think, a good example of a woman who has the strength to protect her daughters and stand up against cultural authorities and norms. Thank you. That's uh, amazing, shocking, uh, difficult for us to understand in our culture. Um, we, I think, have heard about female genital mutilation, but have just not understood the cultural significance of it and therefore the, the significance of standing against it. So that's really good. Thank you so much, Adrienne. Um, and we'll see you at the next Bible study because yeah. Adrienne has unofficially joined Bigger Kirk and is coming to our Bible studies on a Tuesday night. So thank you so much. Bye-bye for now. Here, Jane. Bye. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is alive and active and that you use it to speak into our lives. Lord, thank you for these women in the Exodus story. Thank you for Adrienne and the stories she has brought up to us today of women who have made such incredible sacrifices and stood up against the powers and authorities in order to do the right thing. We pray for Lek and Rose today. We ask you to surround them with your love. Fill them with your spirit. Continue to give them the courage they need as they serve you in different ways. We pray that as they serve you and touch the lives of so many around them, you would pour your blessings onto these women. And Father, as we pray for these women, we pray for ourselves. Help us to have the wisdom to recognize injustice, oppression, and sin in the world in which we live. Help us to have the courage to stand up against injustice, oppression and sin, even if that means standing up against our culture, 
or our society's expectations or powerful people. Help us to stand up for God's way, even if that makes us unpopular or means we stick out as different. Help us to be willing to make sacrifices in order to see your kingdom advance in our world. Give us the wisdom and courage to do what is right, we pray. Lord, as we look at our community, our country and our world, the suffering around us can seem overwhelming. We thank you that you are sovereign and we can turn to you. We pray for leaders across the world as they struggle to deal with the crisis of COVID. Give them wisdom, give them compassion, give them generosity, give them strength. We bring before you particularly the countries where there is little government help for those who are suffering. Father, we lift before you the country of Myanmar following the military coup this week. We pray particularly for those from villages that have been attacked and burnt down in the last few weeks and who are hiding in the jungle. We ask that they find safety. We ask that justice would be done and those who have suffered oppression by the military for so long would see change. We pray too for the people of Mozambique who are suffering the devastating effects of Cyclone Eloise. We pray for all who have lost their homes, their livestock and their land, been injured or bereaved. Help the churches in Mozambique to reach out in love at this time. We pray for this country and the terrible effects of COVID in so many areas of life. We pray for all the frontline workers who are exhausted and broken, health workers, shopkeepers, teachers. And this morning we pray for the undertakers, funeral directors and crematorium staff who are working quietly and constantly with compassion and care for those who grieve. We ask they would be able to have times at rest that they would have the strength they need to keep going and that they would know your peace at a very difficult time. We particularly pray for Andy, Scott and Stephen here in Bigger and ask you to uphold them as they serve this community. We thank you, Lord, for the miracle of the vaccination and ask you to have your hand on the logistics. Give energy to those who are working so hard to get the vaccination rolled out. We pray for those known to us who are unwell at this time. Lord, we lift Carolyn before you and ask that she would experience your healing touch. We pray for her and David, that they would know your presence and your peace. In the silence, we name others known to us who are suffering in body, mind or spirit. We pray for those who are grieving today, particularly the family and friends of Agnes Laurie, Sheena Matthews and Margaret Walker. Comfort them, Lord. Draw them close to you and may they know your love. In the silence, we pray for all we know who are grieving today. Finally, Lord, we ask that you would use us. Use us to bring joy to those who are sad. Use us to bring practical help to those who have needs. Use us to bring hope to the hopeless. Use us to bring peace to the anxious. Use us to shine your light into the darkness and point people towards you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together our final hymn, a hymn of assurance that whatever comes our way, we can know the peace of God. The hymn, It Is Well. Let's sing together.
Brothers and sisters, let's go into this week knowing that whatever the week holds for us, that God, who has the power to defeat even a despotic Pharaoh, that God, who can part the seas and raise Jesus from the dead, this God goes with us. Let us then, whoever we are, be brave, holding on to him, holding on to him our only hope in life and death. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with us all evermore. Amen. <laughs>